Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me, and you can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And as you know, this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And our sponsor is FHE Health. And they've brought us this episode today, and they are a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for the first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. And folks, I am so excited today. We've got K.L. Wells, who's going to be joining us today. And if you're not familiar with K.L. Wells, she's a mom um, of a recovering addict, and um, it was... You know, just her despair and discouragement with that situation that brought her into the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And she has a a phrase that I I just love because it's so true. And that is that pain pushes until vision pulls. And I just I just love that. And she's been for many, many years an executive coach and business um, consultant. And um, she likes to or she is working in that executive space, you know, in the business world. And that kind of uh, tugs at my heartstrings, as you all know, if you've been listening to this podcast. Uh, I I started this whole journey um, after my own um, recovery journey and working with police executives. So I'm working with executives, but in the law enforcement world, and she's out in the the real executive world. And, and I think that that's very, very <laughs> necessary because, mm-hmm. um, you know, really change within organizations starts at the top. And uh, I know a lot of executives listen to this podcast and really listen to it because they just gain that insight and knowledge. And, and Kale is going to talk to us about her story, what brought her here, and some of the things that we can do. So with that, Kale, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Mike. I'm very excited to be with you today. Okay, well, go ahead and t- tell us. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just do one big open-ended question. What brought okay. you here today? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're both in the same space that um, actually has become my calling. And um, as you said, you know, one of the phrases I use is pain pushes and television pulls. Well, the pain for me uh, was very dramatic and very traumatic at the same time. And this was a number of years ago. Um, and so, you know, kind of a quick story is that um, – I was dealing with my son's addiction at the same time that I walked into a client meeting with um, a CEO and the executive team. This was a few years ago. And the CEO didn't happen to be present that day. And I noticed that something was really off in terms of the energy. And I very quickly learned that uh, the CEO's son had um, died of an overdose on the Saturday before. What they didn't know until months later, um, when I felt it was appropriate, um, was that the same day that her son died, I actually witnessed my own son um, being arrested at at gunpoint by um, police officers. And um, that was, there were three days between my point of that experience and meeting with them. And so in order for me to continue to show up for them in their trauma, and all that they were going through at that time, which was, you know, shock and disbelief and um, denial and all that swirled around that. Um, I had done my work personally between the three days uh, in those three days so that I could be present for them in a way that they really needed me to be. 
and I wasn't distracted by my own story uh, from three days earlier. So what I realized in that moment was that what I had kind of stumbled upon in my own journey uh, was valuable for other people to understand and know and skill up, so to speak. And certainly because we are in a pandemic relative to um, alcoholism, drug addiction, and mm-hmm. all the isms at this point, um, the loved ones that are there that are navigating, like a mom or a dad or a sister or a brother or a grandmother or a grandfather or a friend, Um, who loves somebody who is in addiction mode or alcoholism, and um, what do they do? Um, You all have a program. (laughs) Or when you're in recovery, you have a sponsor, you have NA or AA or whatever group community that you go to. Uh, The loved ones are left to navigate this pretty much on their own. Uh, There's Al-Anon that's available, and my personal experience was it didn't match what it was that I needed in order to navigate this in a healthy and high-functioning way. Um, I love what I do professionally, work-wise, and I still wanted to be able to operate at a really high level with my executives and my businesses while I was navigating the despair and the trauma and the shattered dreams of my own experience with my own son. So out of that, um, I started speaking to people and I created a five strategy approach that helped me navigate and has helped others navigate. And then, and then from that place, uh, voices and courage was born for the loved ones and, um, and people that are dealing with, um, with this disease. So that's a quick summation. Yeah, I and I appreciate you sharing that story. And uh, so, how were now? How long ago was this that this occurred to you? Uh, this was two years ago in oh. August. Okay, two years ago. And when did you start your organization? We started last fall. Okay, um, we're still in the building process, um, and the um, right now we're putting um, programs together. We have a website, um, and the programs will be launched um, in the fall. So what we're looking at at that point is um, online training in terms of skill sets. How do you navigate this in a healthy way? Um, your part in the equation. And um, and then trainings and coaching and whatever the community actually asks for, we are preparing the organization to be able to deliver on. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting that you bring this up. And you say that Al-Anon did meet did not meet your needs um, mm-hmm. where they where you where you were and where you needed to be, and that's an interesting mm-hmm. thing because in my years in recovery, I have begun to notice this, and I guess I have noticed it for some time. But because I'm on the actual recovery, meaning working with the addict part, and that's mm-hmm. my own my own experience as well. So I think it's a right. natural gravitation for myself. Um, I have to admit that I've not spent as much time on the other end, and that is working with the families that are suffering. Because after all, as you know, and I know, and everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that addiction is not just the addict. I mean, you, you hear no. people say, hey, Mike, what, what's wrong with my drinking? And I, and I have clients that say that. What's wrong with my drinking? I'm just hurting myself. Well, that's not true. For mm-hmm. every addict, you're probably directly affecting at least 10 people Probably mm-hmm. indirectly, I could get into the 20s or 30s or more. You're affecting a lot of people. 
and right. a lot of people that, that care about you. And so as I get longer into this process myself, I realize how much of a need there is on the other side. Now, you mentioned Al-Anon, and for those of you that don't know what Al-Anon is, and I'm, I'm just going to take a little segue here because uh, I sometimes I make the assumption that everybody knows what that is, but I'm finding that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't. So for those of you that don't know what that is, Al-Anon is the co-companion program to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was born out of uh, Bill Wilson, who was one of the co-founders of AA. His wife, Lois, actually started Al-Anon. And it was because back in the 1930s, uh, she, all, all the people that were going into these meetings, their wives, and at that time, you know, in the 1930s, it started as all men. All the women thought the men were going out and fooling around on them. And so <laughs> they would follow these guys. It's just, that's a true story. And she, wow. and she thought, you know, they, and all these people, the, the wives and the kids would sit outside the house to keep an eye on their loved one, make sure they weren't out fooling around. And, um, <laughs> and she noticed that they were sitting outside. She eventually invited them into the home, into her home. Mm. And mm. uh, brought them in, and they would talk, and they would talk about their, and they would share their issues, and and Lois right. would bake cookies and make coffee. And by the way, if for you history buffs, that's where the tradition of coffee in AA meetings came from. It goes back to Lois, and uh, and they, but they found that the twelve steps that worked for the alcoholic also worked on the loved one because mm-hmm. um, because they they were hurt too, and they were affected by their their loved one's use. And by working the same exact 12 steps, it worked. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, mm-hmm. wait a minute. I'm not affected by alcohol. Sure you are. You're affected by your loved one's use of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And uh, But even as well-known as that was, um, a lot of family members don't avail themselves of that. And then when you get into the other drugs, you know, uh, and narcotics and gambling and sex and all of the other, uh, you know, process addictions, chemical addictions, um, it, they're even lesser known. And so I really like, uh, Kale, that you're coming into this space and, and really trying to shore up the work that is done for those that are affected. So my hat's off to you. It, it's really necessary at this point. Thank you. Well, I mean, it came out of um, my own pain um, because, you know, things happened very quickly and um, I needed to find resources and I was kind of left to figure it out. Um, So once I started figuring things out and finding out, okay, what do I need to do for myself first? Oh, care. Check. Huge really important. Oh, I need to feel first. Um, I needed to process the grief um, and the trauma yeah. around uh, witnessing my son being arrested. And um, and uh, and so, like all the things that we talk about, just being a human being, whether you're the on the addict side or the alcoholic side or you're on the loved one side, all of this is about being a functioning, happy, healthy human being. Um, and being able to share our emotions and talk to people who care about us and have a community that will surround us in our times of need. And um, there are beliefs that we can hold that will hold us to a higher uh, vision or purpose in our lives. And there's learning. Uh, there's always learning. Mm-hmm. So all of those areas being brought together kind of in one space for me, I just began to compile them. Um, in a way that would serve me in the next part of my journey. And I used the experience with my son to elevate. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much live into the question of what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me. 
And so I, I keep looking for those gifts and lessons. And as it began to unfold, I realized that um, it's the loved ones community that is more left to grapple with. How do I navigate this? And particularly when um, you're an alcoholic goes to rehab and comes out and is on a path to remaining sober, um, we've been doing this dance with our spouse or our family for a while. And now they have to n- learn a new dance. Mm-hmm. Seriously? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So how do you learn that new dance? Um, and what is that dance going to look like when we have been dancing in dysfunction for so long? So, um, so there's a lot of layers and a lot of richness to all of this. And uh, it's why Voices and Courage was born. Well, you know, the biggest problem, the biggest question that I get, and I'm sure that you get as well, is this. Okay, I hear you, KL. I hear you, Mike. I got to take care of myself. And I have to have a full life. I have to, you know, I'm, you know, my whole world can't be surrounded by my loved one who's going down this path. So they keep using, what do I do? Okay, I, I'm doing mm-hmm. everything that I can for my loved one. They're not listening. They're not getting help. Not even sure they want to get help. But mm-hmm. what what do you? I mean, what would you say to somebody? And I'm sure you get this question all the time. So what what do I do right now? I'm trying, I'm trying, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Well, I I can really only speak to my experience sure. as a mom of an adult addict, um, and I think that's probably a more powerful way to come at this right now and. My son being an adult, um, uh, I needed to really understand the disease first Mm. and then understand how could I support him in a really healthy way. Um, And that, I think, is the $64 million question. Um, Knowing full well that he's an adult, he's at choice. And um, giving money is a no-go. Um, and that was probably my biggest Achilles heel was I'm like, well, he needs to eat, um, you know, or he's going to become homeless. He's going to lose his home or, uh, you know, or his, he lost his job. He went to jail. I mean, all of these things, um, my biggest, I finally kind of narrowed it all down to, I just need to be super clear with him that no matter what he does in the course of his addiction, he is always loved. Now, does that mean I'm always going to give him money? No. Does that mean I'm going to give him a place to live? No. He's an adult. So at some point, it narrows down um, to the point where they're at, they're at choice. But I also understand through brain science um, that mm, the brain has been altered. Yeah. And the drugs take the first position in terms of survival. However, there are these moments, and certainly being arrested is one of those moments that pulls you up short um, and gives you, you know, quote, the opportunity to um, pull yourself away from the drug um, or drugs so that you can at least get um, a little clearer uh, in your thinking. Um, But I would say for my son in particular, his turning point was, uh, you know, almost being killed in the drug world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, and me continuing to send him texts um, to let him know that he was loved. Um, I I even we live in two different states. 
there would be times when I would just drive up to his house when he still had a house um, just to tell him that I loved him face to face. Sometimes he would be there. Sometimes he wouldn't be there. If he wasn't there, I would leave him a note. Um, but I wanted him throughout this whole experience to, without a sh shadow of a doubt, know that he was loved and he always would be no matter what was going on in his life. And so what I would say to a lot of people is keep the lines of communication open. Let them know that no matter what they're doing, you're loving them through their unfolding because it is their journey as an adult. Um, and draw the boundaries. You're not going to let them steal from you. You're not going to give them money when all they're going to do is use it for drugs. Um, however, you can still continue to deliver that message in a way that they're going to hear it. Um, and eventually, my hope is, um, is that at some point, um, it will become the foundation for their recovery. Yeah, that's powerful stuff and so true. It really is. But gosh, that is tough, isn't it? It's really tough. Yes. Yeah, this is not for wimps. Um, you know, this, yes. And that's why I say personally, um, I knew really quickly that I needed to up my game in terms of taking care of myself so that I could energetically continue to rise to this level of um, connection and continue to love him authentically and genuinely um, and understand that the alcoholic Sam or the addict Sam was not who my son is. They're two different people. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I will always love my son um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I could separate those two and know who I was talking to and be able to navigate that. And um, that clarity has served me super well. So, um, yes, I, I I believe if you're going to take this on, you're going to take on your own spiritual journey, mm -hmm. uh, and you will become you will can you will unfold yourself. Um, and honestly, I believe that all of this is calling us uh, to a higher purpose. Yeah, <laughs> all of us to yeah. a higher purpose. Um, so that's how I frame it so that I can continue to show up the way that I do every day. You know, it's funny that you say that. And you and I were talking about the last podcast I did, the last episode, the title is mm -hmm. Yeah Butts. And mm -hmm. Kayle and I were talking about this before we came on to the program, that that particular episode that I did was born out of me spending a week working with clients in a treatment center that I'm that I'm at right now. And every, it seemed like that particular week, every single client I was – saying some of the things that you're saying right now. And I was talking about the need to, you know, get into a spiritual journey and, and the science, you know, you, you, were, you were talking about the science and we'll kind of circle back to that here in a second. And mm -hmm. every single thing that I said to, to these folks, again, is born of my, my, not just my educational journey, but my personal journey. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the person that came to recovery. I tried everything but what you're talking about, it didn't yeah. work. And then when I finally <laughs> right. got that secret sauce, you know, I found the magic key and it worked and I, and I got to where I am now. And I'm like, I'm trying to explain to clients that, that look, this, this really is the answer. You don't have to go search under the sun for, you know, everything. This, this works right here. And I would hear, yeah, but, but I will, and I say this now and I, and I will continue to say it. And you touched on it just a little while ago here, Kale, is that 
for me, understanding the science behind mm-hmm. what was going on. You mentioned, you know, how your brain changes. It's it's actually molded yeah. a different way. And your yeah. brain actually, high, I don't care how much you want to do in order to get sober or how much, uh, you know, how hard you've been working to get sober. You have to understand your brain has been hijacked. And if right. you're a loved one, you need to understand your loved one's brain has been hijacked. It doesn't mean they don't love you. Of course they love you. Yeah. But their brain has been altered. This is not a willpower issue. And I no. think getting to the answer is born out of understand that basic scientific fact. The brain has been hijacked by drugs and alcohol. Right. Yeah. And I will say it took me um, till the third rehab when I, because I, I, I kept asking, what are the resources, I, what are the books I should be reading? What are the movies I should be looking at or documentaries? And it was the third rehab that I asked and they, um, they said Pleasure Unwoven. Oh, that's a good which one. Which is a yeah. documentary, mm-hmm. you know, done by a doctor who is a recovering addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was illuminating for me. Um, and that was super important and pivotal, um, documentary. Um, and then, you know, I started looking more at the brain science and, um, Dr. Uh, Daniel Amen and the new book he has out, you know, the end of mental illness and scanning brains and so on and so forth, which is completely fascinating to me. Um, but you can see in real time, certainly with Dr. Amen's work, you know, how the brains are completely uh, transformed by using alcohol, drugs, so on and so forth. Um, and so it's undeniable mm-hmm. um, how our brains are um, affected. And I think it's one of the pivotal keys to understanding this disease um, while you're going, why don't they get it? Why don't they just stop? Why can't they just stop? Um, why are they doing all these terrible things like, breaking into people's houses or breaking into cars or, you know, all the things that kind of swirl out of this. Well, I totally understood it when I understood that the number one position for them in terms of survival was getting the drug next. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, just like any of us, if that's the number one position for our survival, we'll do whatever it takes to survive. Yeah. and And it's surreal. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've experienced this. You absolutely mm-hmm. has, have experienced it. And the more you learn about it, and by the way, Pleasure Unwoven, if you have not seen it, I highly, highly recommend that because it it really is an eye-opener. And there's a lot of good material that's out there. But what's interesting mm-hmm. is people come into, when I, when I deal with families, and I'm sure you've run into this, when I'm dealing with families, they keep talking about the moral side of this, meaning, and what, what happens is they get wrapped up in the behavior that is manifest, a manifestation of addiction right and they focus on that Correct. and so they yeah. put the the moral stigma on this when in reality they're missing the mm-hmm. cause of it which is the the science behind it and the fact that this is a progressive disease and it's deadly and it gets worse over a period of time and never any better and they get they focus on the act, the out resulting action from their loved one and they don't go to what the basic cause of that behavior is and I always find that when people come into treatment, that I have to spend so much time dispelling that myth that yes. you're a bad person. I, I spend a lot of time on that, and I have to go back and, and change their thinking and say, no, this is, this is not, you're not a bad person. You must, there's certain scientific facts, and I, hate, and I know in the addiction world, people have to say this, because it's always, we're kind of in this world now where 
we come in and we say, well, how do you feel about this? You know, what is your feeling about a higher power? What is your feeling about 12 steps? What is your, you know, and it really comes down to, I really wish we'd get away from this conversation of how you feel about it because Mm -hmm. there are certain facts and facts Mm -hmm. are not feelings. Facts Mm -hmm. are not feelings. There are Mm -hmm. certain facts about addiction that you must understand. And it really isn't your opinion anymore. Right. It just, and, and the sooner, the sooner you just accept basic facts about addiction, the earlier you're going to get into sobriety. Uh, from the when you're talking about from the addiction uh, or the addict's point of view, just accept yeah. those things and and address them scientifically, and you're probably going to find that you're you'll get well faster. <laughs> but but, I, but but the family's victim to that too. The fact the 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 families have be fallen victim to a lot of a lot of misinformation. Well, Yes, and what I would say, Mike, is that we live generally in a world that views things as good, bad, right, wrong. Right. And the world that I live in and the world that I work with my execs on and their companies on is what works, what doesn't work. Yeah. Because it takes the personalness out of it. I mean, you know, um, and that's one of the things, too, is just this notion that what they're doing is not personal to you. Just like, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz in the Four Agreements. Um, it's not good, bad, right, wrong. Unless you give it that label and then you make it about morals. And you put them in a position of how do they climb out of that? Um, how do they climb out of the shame, the stigma, the humiliation, mm-hmm. and all that continues to also trap them in their disease or in the disease of the family? Um, even as the loved ones is, I mean, just as much shame and stigma and guilt and all of that goes along with the family too. Um, I mean, I have, I've heard this so many times is the family that is ashamed, um, to talk about a family member who is dealing with addiction or the disease. Mm -hmm. Um, they keep it silent, um, and silence will kill you also. And so how do we break out, not only as families, but I believe that this is a cultural and a global um, calling for us to get back to uh, being human and, and really loving each other through our journeys um, and getting to the point of not who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong, but is this working for you in creating the life that you're inspired to live? Mm-hmm. Is this not working for you in creating the life that you're inspired to live? And so a, my work is principally centered around living an inspired life, and business is a vehicle for that. Um, so those are all some of the touch points that I uh, work in <laughs> around well, this. So shattering the whole thing around good, bad, right, wrong uh, is absolutely imperative. Yeah, and I... Uh, I absolutely agree, and let's let's kind of follow up on a, a few of those topics, if you don't mind. But I'm going to take a, a short mm-hmm. break here, just for our sponsor. And uh, you know, this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, and FHE Health has been provi- providing life changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach, recognizing the specialized treatment needs for the first responder community. They've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. 
FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and for our communities. So learn more at FHEHealth.com. And, you know, I really, I feel like you and I are kind of from the same mold. I really do. <laughs> I really Good. like how you, you think because, I, well, one of the things I like about what you're doing is you're going to the community leaders, you know, the executives, if you will, you yes. know, in, in your world, and you're mm-hmm. you're going to the to the village elders, so to speak, and saying, "Hey, here's the issue, and we need to address this." Because in my observation in the recovery world, in the time that I've been in it, is addiction and how we deal with addiction is kind of like a backroom thing. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. shrouded in secrecy, and it's the thing that we don't talk about. It's the, you know, mm-hmm. even in my own, the law enforcement world, it's like, shh, we don't, we don't talk about that. And, mm-hmm. and therefore, we never address it until, um, you don't address it until you have to address it. And that's not yeah. the way to do it. And so I really like how you're front-ending this with executives and, and getting on top of it because, uh, and I'll, I'll ask your opinion about this. This is, this is, well, I'm going to say it's Mike's opinion, but it's not really my opinion. It's a fact. Remember, mm-hmm. feelings are not facts. Uh, addiction is a, is a disease. So let's just put that aside right there. It's a disease. It is not a moral mm-hmm. issue. Correct. Um, it is a disease. It is progressive. The end result is death. And the mm-hmm. bonus, for those of you that want bonus points, um, you will destroy everything and everyone you hold dear, and then you'll mm-hmm. die from it. That's the bonus mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And the sooner we understand that, and I know that's kind of like an in-your-face statement, but I'm just telling you, the sooner we all understand the seriousness of this disease, the better off we are all going to be. Kale, I know you may have seen this over this last year. We've had this horrific instance with COVID over the last year and the lockdowns and the isolation. And the one mm-hmm. thing I do, and, I, and we hear about COVID, and I'm not, that's important. And these are, it's horrible, and it's horrible that people have died from this. But what we're not talking about is all of the relapses, all of the deaths, all of the suicides, all of the things right. that have happened while we had these lockdowns. And right. I will tell you that it has been horrific. I've seen more suicides and more relapses and people come into treatment during this last year than I ever have in the time right. that I've been in recovery. But we don't talk yes. about that. And I believe, this is now this is Mike's opinion, this is opinion, yeah. I believe it's because we don't talk about it because of the moral association with it. Hey, these people didn't ask for for COVID. People that addicts did ask for it, so we're not going to talk about that. And I think that is a moral judgment, and we've got to get away from that, don't we? Oh uh, yes, uh, <laughs> um, morality is based on perspective, um, and it's either good, bad, right, wrong. Um, I would I would also say that partly what I'm understanding about the impact of COVID is not just the moral issue, but the statistics and research right now show that we are we are not skilled up as human beings to create community. Right. So as of, you know, like 30 years ago, um, people generally reported that they had three really close friends. As of 10 years ago, they reported that they have two really close friends. So you add COVID as a layer on top of that, um, it has, it just blew people's minds um, in terms of how do I create community when I am on stay at home orders. Mm -hmm. And so given that, 
Um, for me, the gift of COVID is that it has illuminated and shown a spotlight on the fractures of our humanity and that this is one of them. And so the central piece of, um, one of the central pieces of recovery for addicts, alcoholics, and loved ones is a vibrant community that has your back, that you can be genuine and authentic with. And we just have not, as a, as a race, um, kind of skilled up in that area. And so the suicides, the deaths, the relapses are another indicator of how poorly we have done that. Yeah, and we were doing poorly before COVID. <laughs> COVID yes, we were. COVID is that's just, why, it just yes, and that's why I say devastated. COVID has shown a spotlight um, on how poorly we have been doing. Um, and for me, I frame things in terms of the deaths, the suicides, the relapses are the huge red flags that are you know being thrown into the air to say, okay, we have got to shift the paradigm. We have got to do things differently. We have got to get back to loving each other, being kind to each other, listening to each other, hearing the truth that comes from each one of us, mm -hmm. um, being authentically genuine um, and being okay with that. Um, so I think of these things as a calling to that higher um, version of ourselves, mm -hmm. not just individually, but collectively. That's very well said. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, so, Kale, if I am a client of yours or someone that uh, heard about your organization and I come to you and I need some help, um, kind of walk me through what what can I expect? What would you tell me? My, my loved one is still active in addiction, and what I have found is that a lot of people either A, don't know anything about any recovery program that's out there, or mm -hmm. maybe they've gotten information and um, it's misinformation because I'm finding that mm -hmm. I, you know, with addiction, this is one of the, the interesting things about the addiction world is uh, recovery programs are kind of like, you know, the, your friend that you tell that you're going to go see a movie and they tell you not to, not to go to the movie because it, because it sucks. And you say, mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, when did you see that movie? And they say, well, I've never seen it, but I, but I just know that it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, yeah. that that's what yeah. I hear that all the time about, you know, name a recovery program. And I hear, oh, no, that doesn't work. Oh, really? How do you know that? Well, I, I just know. Uh, why, have you gone to it? No, but I but I heard about it. And it, it's a weird thing. So when you have a, sure. so you're going to run into that, and I'm sure you have run into that. You know, so somebody comes to you and they say, hey, Kale, my, uh, my loved one is still drinking, drugging, you know, whatever the issue is that they come to you in. And, um, and it's just, it's just day one. What, what, what do you say to them? How do you walk them through that? Well, I'm not saying a lot to them. What I'm asking them is a lot of questions. I, I want to hear them tell me their story. I want to understand what the dynamics are that, that are taking place. Who, who are the people that are involved? Where are they in the process? I want to hear their language, how they talk about it, what beliefs they hold. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of questioning and a lot of listening and, um, a lot of understanding where they are currently in their own story first. And I think that is imperative on the front end um, because if people don't feel heard first and foremost, they're not going to come back. Um, and so I want them to come back because I want them to have a lifeline. 
And, um, and then from that, based on what I hear and what I understand their beliefs to be and where they are in their journey, then we'll map out the next step. But I'm not one that has a box, you know, a program in a box. Um, I'm wired to meet people where they are. And then I have a whole litany of things that I can work with personally um, and within the organization that will help them with the next step. And I really believe that it's just the next step that they need to take um, and see. And then when they when they've got a foothold on that next step, then we can take the next step. Um, so it's it's just a process. Um, and if people continue to show up, then we can continue to walk that path with them. Um, the other thing that I would say too is because you know people are in such a mer- myriad of different phases of this journey for themselves. A lot of people are still in the shame, the humiliation, the guilt, the um, trauma of it all is they don't even have to talk to us at this point. They could sign up on Voices Encourage when we get everything up and they can go listen to an interview uh, that I've done with somebody or an interview that my um, community engagement director has done with somebody who is walking this path. So they can watch other people's stories and other people um, telling their truth um, as a as a potentiality for oh, I never thought of that. Oh, I never thought of that. Oh, I should read that book. Oh, I might want to um, look at that movie um, or that documentary. Um, so they can do it from the comfort of their own home on the beginning end if that's where they need to start. Mm-hmm. So there's a variety of ways to begin to get help. And, um, and I think that variety will serve them really, really well on the front end. And that is so true. That is so true. You, you have to show up and you have to just learn and you have to start somewhere and, and things don't get better overnight. They don't. And I'm going to yeah. tell people about mm-hmm. that right right off the, the bat. Uh, recovery, right. whether you are someone that is literally in recovery from drugs or alcohol or whether you're a family member, this is, this is a daily practice. This is something that you keep moving. You're going to have your good days, your bad days, but you just have to keep showing up and in time, things will get better. Now, mm-hmm. having said that, I, I'm not going to delude anybody here. D- do not think that coming in and helping yourself, if you're the family member, that just because you're working on yourself does not necessarily mean that your loved one is going to get better. And I, I just have Correct. to say that up front. And so Absolutely. switching the gears here, okay, I, I come and I'm working with you and I'm trying to get help for myself. And then the reality sets in that my loved one is not getting better. And and I thought they would. I thought they would by me attending uh, a meeting or mm-hmm. coming and working with you and doing an interview mm-hmm. and, and doing this, and they're not getting better. Um, yeah. And they become discouraged. So what would you say to that person? Well, if you are reaching out for help simply to help your loved one, then um, that's a failed strategy as far as I'm concerned. Um, you want to be doing your work for you so that you can be healthy with them if they choose to get healthy. Yeah. And some will not choose to get healthy. I mean, honest to goodness, Mike, you know, in going through this journey, I needed to get clear with myself that I could not save my son. 
I couldn't make the decision for him to get clean and sober. I couldn't drag him to a facility. I could not fix this. Um, and so uh, I actually needed to work through part of the process of what if he did die yeah. um, and know that that is a reality in this whole thing. Um, and that's honestly life. We don't know from day to day if we're going to live or die. So it, it's, uh, I think for me, it would help me to kind of pull back and look at, at life in general and say, number one, he is on his own journey, and I don't begin to know what this is in service of, uh, but this is my part. This is what I'm going to do in terms of how I'm going to show up as a healthy mom, as a healthy parent, as somebody who is still engaged um, in the work that I love. This is how I'm going to choose to show up. Did I do that to for him to look at me and then choose to get healthy? No, I wasn't doing it for him necessarily. I was doing it for me with clarity, knowing full well that if he chose to get healthy, then I would be there healthy with him. Mm -hmm. so and if he, does, if he doesn't get well, you still have to get healthy, whether he does absolutely. or he doesn't. Yes. My job is not to go down the rabbit hole of, of being addicted to his addiction. My job is to be a, a healthy, functioning, happy as much as I can, joyful, still person. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to walk my path while he's walking his, um, but I'm not going to allow his addiction to pull me into the rabbit hole of um, despair and all that swirls around it. I'm not going to give up my life for his life. Yeah. It's tough to do. It is not. It is not easy to do, and I understand that. Absolutely. But it, it you know, when we come into recovery, and when I say come into, and I want people to understand that when we talk about recovery, we're always focused on the addict. But we, we yes. are. If you're a loved one, <laughs> you you need to be in recovery too. And I think that's yes. one of the big myths out there. That just take the twelve steps for example. People think that the 12 steps is just for the addict. No, it's for the whole country. The whole world actually should yes, be in some yes. form of recovery, to be honest. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the truth is that I, I really believe that at the root of all of this is trauma. Yeah. I, and honestly, I don't know a human being walking that I work with that hasn't been uh, exposed to some sort of trauma in the course of their life. And it's how we deal with that trauma. Um, you know, right now, I mean, I have a number of execs that are parents and, you know, part of their first thing was how do I protect my son or daughter? And I'm like, <laughs> that's not really the question here. It's their shit's going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. How are you going to train them up? How are you going to skill them up to be able to navigate life when it shows up and knocks them on their butt? That's a really big paradigm shift, and I like that because, you know, listen to what they say. Listen to this. For those, this is law enforcement crowd primarily that listens to this. Look at the statement analysis of this. How do I protect mm -hmm. my child from trauma? Well, that's impossible. It uh, is impossible. Really what you're saying is why don't you – actually what you should be doing is training them to be ready for the inevitable trauma. Yes, That's exactly. what you should be doing. Yes. Teach them how to feel. <laughs> mm -hmm. When stuff shows up, they need to feel instead of stuffing. Um, and 
They need to learn the skill sets of taking care of themselves. They need to learn how to build a vibrant and vital community um, that will have their back and be there for them when life shows up. Um, there are certain beliefs and profound questions that, that they can adopt and, and step into that will hold them in a higher space and continue to learn. Be curious about your life and people's lives and the world in general and continue to learn and how to continue to elevate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is exciting. I am really excited about this, this whole project. I Thank really you. am. And Thank you. What are the timelines again? What, so for the audience that are going to be looking, and I know that, that all you listeners out there are going to be looking for, for this, uh, what are we looking at and, and sort of what are the windows? Um, right now we're looking at an October launch um, for fully functioning pro- programs, um, stories that people can watch, uh, videos, a training pro- online training program, and group coaching. Oh, Wow. So once again, what is the the website? Voicesincouraged.com. Okay. And are are there any other ways that you want to put out here for the audience to, where they can contact you or reach out to you in any way? I would right now at this moment, I would go to Voicesincouraged.com. There is um, a contact us button um, that they can click on and they can send an email and one of either myself or my team will reach back out to them. Okay, great. And for those of you that are listening, uh, just do a quick Google search or and go on YouTube. You can uh, put in Kale's name there, or put in the organization. And you, there's there's a lot of information already where you can find out a bit more about her story and uh, the the work that she's doing that we we've talked about today. So check that out as well. So Kale, is there anything that we've not touched on, at least in this session, that uh, that you'd like to cover before we wrap up today? You know, I think generally speaking, Mike, um, if people would just pause and think and ask the question and live into and uh, the question of what are the gifts and lessons embedded in this experience for me? What is this experience here to teach me? That's a good point. If they would just lean into those questions and continue to ask them, because I do this on a daily basis for myself, um, uh, Voices and Courage would not have been born if I hadn't been leaning into those questions. Yeah. Um, And I don't know what other things are to be born through other people that have yet to be born that could be out of this experience. You know, it's funny. In early recovery... It's really just about one step in front of the other, just mm-hmm. surviving, getting through that 24-hour right. period, just moving yeah. forward, continuing to move forward. And it's kind of hard. I know we, we throw out terms like higher power, you know, spiritual development, uh, mm-hmm. making amends, and, uh, you know, all these sort of high-level uh, items. That That's for later, you know, once, once yes. you, you get some, you know, time behind you and you you got some experience behind you and some development but when you get on the back end of recovery um it really is sort of thinking of spiritual things and not necessarily religious it can be you know depending on each person's different but um, mm-hmm. those spiritual uh concepts like what you're talking about i i mean i know in my own life now i look at things you know things that happen in my life you know tra- i've had listen i've had more tragedy happen to me in recovery than i ever had mm-hmm. happen uh, while, right. I, while I was still drinking. 
And, yeah. you know, it's amazing how I look at almost every one of those events as being like, what a what am I being taught right now? How am I being tested yeah. right now? Now, it took right. time to look at events that way, but I think that's mm-hmm. what you're talking about, that sort yeah. of working a program and, and getting in that development gets you into like a higher level of thinking and living, doesn't it? Yes. I, I mean, you're you're talking, you know, years out mm-hmm. necessarily, once you get your head clear and you start to get healthy again. But I do think for loved ones, once they're in that space also is, I really firmly believe that life shows up for us. It's not happening to us. Um, and mm-hmm. so if you believe that life is actually showing up for you, then embedded in that is the understanding that it's lo- it's showing up for you to elevate um, as a human being, to become the next best version of yourself. Um, and, um, and, and that's a belief that I hold. So it, that belief sh- serves me really, really well in terms of what are the outcomes that I want to create in my life. Um, and they continue to evolve. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So folks, I know there's a lot of information packed into this podcast today, and it's all good stuff. And and I really want you to reach out to KO Wells and, and check out Voices and Courage and really support her. When this this thing gets online in October, folks, support this organization, support KEL, because you're going to learn a lot, and it's going to help you quite a bit. It, it just is. And so, Kale, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Oh, thank you, Mike. This has been, this has been great. Um, I'm always up for having these conversations, because if one person's listening to this, and they've had a shift because of our conversation today, that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely, because that's what we do in recovery, guys. We share our experiences to help other people, and that's one of those higher sort of spiritual things that you were talking about. Once you get well and and life is is moving forward for you, you realize that it's just your job now to get back into the stream of life yourself and help the other people along the right. way that were struggling the way that you were struggling and, and help mm-hmm. them along the way, because that's what we do. That is yeah. so true, and thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Absolutely. Really thank it. you so much for having me. So, guys, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. According to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty and find out more at FHEHealth.com. And so, as I'd always like to say, I don't represent any group. I know we do talk about groups that are here, but we I don't, and, and Kale doesn't really represent any groups that are out there there are a lot of recovery programs and please 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 explore them and and come to your own conclusions about them and but get involved in something i mean that's we're moving forward here so uh if i've said anything that does not apply to you or you don't agree with then just discard it but by trying to take any information that you can use for yourself and uh, use that to help others as well because that's what we do in recovery we help ourselves along the way and we help to impart the knowledge we've gained to others as well. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. Let me know how I'm doing, and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about, because I'd love to hear from you. Guys, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.